0: I've, I've enjoyed playing here. It's been over 20 years that I've, I've been coming to Royal Melbourne. This week, golf should be played. We
1: love coming down under.
2: Look, it's phenomenal to play. The quality of the golf's been great, but the enthusiasm of the people's been the thing that's just been amazing.
0: Tier of courses that I'm willing to shave my neck for in Kingston Heath. Get out of bed to shave.
2: Especially somewhere like Australia in the sand belt, and I've so many great memories of being down there.
1: G'day and welcome back to another episode of Australian Golf Passport. Uh, I'm Scott Warren. I'm joined as always by Matt Mollica. Morning, Scott. But very special guests this week. uh, We're joined by Joseph Cass and Todd Ogborn, who are two club pros from the northeast of the US who've just completed not just a bucket list golf trip in Australia, but the bucket list golf trip in Australia. Uh, Looking forward to spending some time chatting to them this morning about their experiences, what they learned, what they most enjoyed on the trip. And a bit of an overseas perspective of some of the courses that we uh, that we have to offer here. So, thank you both very much for the time you've made.
2: Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having us. I think it's good afternoon for us, but thanks for having yeah. us.
1: For those who can who can try and track the difference through the episode, the first voice you heard there was Todd's, and the second one was Joseph's. But uh, it might just be one and the same for many because our ability to tell the difference between American accents can can struggle. But I'm curious to to hear you both talk a little bit about the game in Australia and how it was different. Obviously you're, you know, you're so immersed in the game in America. You're so familiar with the culture of golf in America and particularly the private club golf in America. How did you find the culture and approach to the game at the top Aussie clubs compared to what you're used to?
2: Um, So I'll kick this off. Everybody was uh, super welcoming Um, everywhere we went. People were, you know, interested in our trip. Um, All the clubs that we, you know, kind of reached out to, um opened their doors to us and um a little different than what we're used to here in the states um obviously we kind of ticked off um you know the top courses in australia would be very difficult to do here in the u.s um we joined up with members and played with a lot of different people um and everybody was super super welcoming
0: it was uh it was quite eye-opening for me i guess just like on a like Generalized, just kind of landscape of the golf courses. Just first off, on that was just like a total eye opening versus like being from like in the Northeast or even like down south in the United States. Uh, just the actual golf courses themselves were like a total like you see it on TV and still doesn't give it justice whenever you go play the golf courses. So, like the anticipation for me, I was so excited leading up into the trip. I was just like, I am just itching to get in one of these bunkers and to see how like really tough it is to get out. And needless to say, Uh, which we'll probably get into later, the amount of bunker shots that I would skull out was like, I actually thought that was a really good shot, ended up not being it. So like, I was so excited to go play in the golf courses. And like what Todd said, like the people that we got to be on this trip for me was a highlight because what's so good about the game of golf, it, it brings you into contact with so many different people and so many different walks of life so just the opportunity to come over to australia and play golf and then to meet everybody there and then to create friends and see old friends over there it's going to be like memories and lasting relationships i'm going to have for the rest of my life
3: it's fantastic to hear it's yeah it's not just about courses but experiences and people you meet too it's good what sort of process did you guys go through in order to identify the places that you wanted to visit did you did you start with ranking lists had you been given a heads up from friends about which courses to go and play or?
2: So I did uh, pretty much most of the planning. I'm a bit of a course junkie, I guess you could say. Um, I reached out on Instagram. I well, First of all, I had two, two mates come over uh, from Australia and played here at Sleepy Hollow with us. Um, and they suggested like, I was like, hey, you know, I want to take this trip. I'm going to do it in a couple of years. And they said, well, you know, the exchange rate's really good. You should do it now. So I kind of went to planning, um, reached out to people on Instagram. And uh, what courses do I need to see? Um, You know, I used uh, Tom Doak's Confidential Guide. I listened to uh, the Australian Golf Passport. um, And a lot of different kind of resources went to that. I didn't want to just look at the rankings. You know, rankings are very subjective. They're all, you know very different, but, um, I watched the no laying up tour sauce. So, you know, a lot, all these different resources are out there. Um, and then kind of fine tune the list of, okay, we can be here these days. We can, you know, um, not a lot of guest play on, on the weekends at some of these clubs. So, um, you know, we'll go to, we'll go to King Island and go to Cape Wickham. Then, um, kind of used, you know, it was, it was a lot of, of, of work to route the trip um but we kind of got our route down and then started to reach out to the clubs but um it was it was definitely a process but you know there's so many resources nowadays especially with you know so many different opinions on Instagram and from it was it was fairly straightforward those logistics
1: it's it's an underrated challenge i think of trying to organize a golf trip and not just the weekends being busy but even at the moment i'm organizing a few days in melbourne and you ring a club that you know friday is a good day and you're like sweet i'll play there in the morning I oh, know we've got we've got pennant this Friday. We've got ladies pennant, and so there's all these moving parts in club diaries as well that can that can make you know for you guys organising twenty odd courses um, even even more difficult from the other side of the planet.
2: It definitely. Um, so, like, I kind of started. It was you know okay. Where's the top places that we want to see? Um, Royal Melbourne, um, obviously reached out to our friend there and that was the first one. Can we play this day? Kind of work backwards that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then, you know, Kingston Heath was, oh, um, Kingston Heath was kind of unfortunate because then we got off the plane and later that afternoon played the first day, but it was better for us to play on a Sunday afternoon. So um, just kind of, you know, starting with some of the ones that you know you want to see the big ones um, and then kind of working in the rest around that. But like you said, it's a challenge. Um, it's actually one of my favorite parts about the trip, is trying to kind of plan everything and put the pieces together. Um, and then it was, you know, when, when do we go to Barnboogle? When do we, you know, I wasn't going to miss Royal Adelaide. When do we go, when do we go to Adelaide? Um, so just kind of the piecing together, it's actually kind of the fun part for me.
1: I'm curious then, you hopped off a plane, you'd probably been on planes for the best part of a day at that point, straight on to Kingston Heath, You know, you have all these expectations about what golf in Australia will be like. Do you recall those immediate instinctive responses to it? You know, how it made you feel and what surprised you about it?
0: I'll leave with this one, Todd. Um, So we pull in, so we get in the flight from LA to Melbourne around morning time, probably say like 7, 8 a.m. Pronunciations
1: of Melbourne are perfect, by the way. I love the Australian Melbourne. We've got
0: that down. Yeah, I mean, even on that note, there's a couple of, like, I'm trying to get some more like Australian slang into my American dialect. So let me see if I can pull any out in this little uh, topic. <laughs> so we fly in, we kind of spend the day in St. Kilda because we, like, we're playing later that afternoon. So we pull in to Kingston Heath. And the first thing for me is when you pull like right into the gates, you kind of see like the first hole. You're like, okay. And then the bunkering is just jaw dropping truly truly jaw-dropping and you're just seeing it from like a couple hundred meters away and you're just like okay this is kind of i see it on tv i'm excited to see how it is and then the first rule like welcome to again like australia slam sandbell golf was and so we go in say hello to the head pro and the staff go to the short game area to kind of get acclimated to the firm turf i think todd and i threw a couple balls in the bunker and Shout
2: out, for that suggestion yeah
0: yeah and was like, yep, this is what I'm, Todd and I are going to be handling for the next 30 days. Might as well try to get acclimated to it pretty quickly. I think I got acclimated to the bunkers probably, I think, a week before we left. Um, it took me <laughs> a long time to get acclimated to it. And I was like, if I have to lay up on approach pro chart, just, just so I can eliminate the bunkers, I had to do that a couple times out there, but... Well, welcome to Australian golf. For me, it was like you sit there and just see these massive bunkerings, these big, lip-tight edges all the way around it. It's like, okay, let's just get after it from there.
1: And it's one of those things, too, where you – I know when I first went to the sand belt, when you knife a bunker shot, there's almost this like perverse like satisfaction or humor that the bunker got you. You've heard all about sandbelt bunkers for so long, and then as your leading edge hits the equator of the ball and it flies like 80 yards over the green, it's like, yeah, okay,
0: True. Yeah, you're just sitting there like, okay, like, and also, too, because over in the States, depending on really kind of where you're at, like, there's total different textures of sand, the same with Australia, but it's still kind of a similar kind of density, it's kind of like that thicker kind of clayish sand, to where, like, you have to kind of, like, take that leading edge into it, so if you use the bounce, you're definitely gonna, you're gonna scull it out, versus over here in the States, like, you can use the bounce, because the sand's a little bit softer, you can kind of get under it more, so, not to lead into something else, but like we played with Lucas Michelle at Metropolitan saw him hitting shots, and he was like, "You basically just got to like dig your shoulders into it and lead that, and have that leading edge go into it, and just fully commit and trust." And I'm like, "Yeah, I can't do that right now. I'm scared of this." yards over the green, like you said.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say we got fortunate the second day. Uh, we played Metro um, with with Lucas and Clates actually, so it was like you know the best best day mm-hmm. ever. Um, and I think, you know, I was in the bunker on the second hole at Metro and Lucas, you know, gave the bunker tip of, you know, lean really hard into the left side and just get really steep with it and just trust it. And, um, I was kind of fortunate to, uh, take his advice and, uh, I got out, you know, it was, it made it much easier, but, um, I remember listening to the podcast and Lucas saying like the first thing you do when you get to Australia is you go find a bunker on the short game area. And, you know, figure out how to get out of it because you're going to need it. And I think the first thing I noticed when we got to Kingston Heath, um, well, A, you know, Kingston Heath being pretty flat, not a lot of movement there. um, But just, you know, like Joe said, the um, the, awe of the bunkers. You Mm -hmm. know, we started, um, we didn't start on one. We started, I think it's a 7th tee start there when they don't start on one. So, you know, you're looking down the 7th hole and you're just like, I mean, my first thought was, holy crap, this is it. Like, this is, you know, we're we're finally here after all that planning. Um, and then walking down the fairway and you get to the green and just the turf condition, conditions being so firm, even with the wet winter and fall kind of season that you guys had, um, still so firm and just, um, it was like, here we go. So it was, you know, first thing you notice are the bunkers and leading right into the greens and you're like, yeah, this is it
1: i mean that's one of my favorite green sites in the or green complexes in the entire sandbelt. like what what a hole to start your your trip
2: yeah right yeah
3: yeah joe, perfect I'm, introduction perfect introduction
1: i'm curious joe you've piqued my interest with your reference to aussie slang and our tendency to abbreviate anything over two syllables can you give us like a little you know your your, your favorite australianisms or australian slang that you learned on the trip
0: um todd's got to. my favorite one it's uh it was one of the uh grounds guys at yara yara i'm blanking on his name todd do you remember clint. his name yeah clint the super at yara yara uh yeah he was sitting there talking to us and we we're kind of going into the entire life trip and he's just kind of like an all about our trip and then he hits us with the line uh, good on you boys and when <laughs> I heard that and I was like, that's immediately going into like my memory bank of slangs to use. But Todd and I were talking about it because we'd always say that so many times on our trip after we met him. It doesn't sound as good in an American accent. So then like whenever we have to say it, or at least whenever I say it, I do it like in a little Australian accent or I try to do it in Australian accent, which I'm like, hopefully this doesn't come off the wrong way. But it just sounds so much better.
1: No, I think I think
3: the attempt at the accents always always fun. Uh, Doke had done some work at Yarra Yarra recently, so you've seen that in fantastic shape, and great condition. Uh, they've really sort of polished that course up and and got a lot of its luster and and quality back. So I'm, I'm glad you got to see it at this time. That work's all done and it's looking as good as it should.
2: Yeah, some of those par threes were incredible six, 11, uh, 14, I think it was 15 somewhere. Um, it was incredible. And there's, you know, stories about, you know, Gil Hans going there and checking it out and kind of leaving and saying nothing, you know, nothing special, but, um, we were kind of told too, like, Oh, you know, you don't have to go check it out, but there's a couple of drawings in Doke's book. Um, and I, you know, chat with some of his shapers and they're like, Oh, you gotta go check it out. So I, I was really glad we did. It was like a super underrated one where if you're kind of planning a trip, I would you say, you know, definitely don't miss it, and everybody over there was awesome we We chatted with Clint for probably ten minutes and before or middle of the round and then after, and it was it would definitely one that I was glad we went to and i I wouldn't miss if I was going over.
1: I feel like okay. the eleventh at Yarra Yarra is one of the seminal sandbelt holes you know definitely. that you want to have you want to have played. you've seen so many pictures of it, you've heard about how it, how to play it. I think even just to go to Yarra, even if the other seventeen weren't worth seeing which they absolutely are. Just that hole, um, I think you need – if you come that far, you want to inflate it.
0: Absolutely. Quentin was telling us, like, all, oh, like, the tree removal that they had, because there was a ton of trees kind of outlining a lot of the holes, and, like, them removing that kind of, like, allows, like, the course to be open. And then, like I said, Todd, Matt, and I were talking about playability on golf courses. Like, that was truly, like, a good, like – if that's, like, your first course into, like, the sandbelt areas, area, it's, like, it's very, like, okay, wide open. You're going to get good introduction to the firm conditions, good routing and really kind of test the bunkering and the greens cause like you can kind of spray it off the tee a little bit. And one thing I noticed too in Australia, the wind is quite prevalent at certain times of the day. And if you're a high ball hitter like me, you get eaten up and your golf ball gets thrown around a lot. So it's nice to kind of see a course to where like, if you're just kind of getting used to playing in those conditions, you're not gonna get too penalized by losing golf balls in the native area you still be able to go find it and then progress it forward. So that was one of my things about Yara Yara too, was like you get to just be able to go out and play the course in front of you and not worrying about having to lose golf balls left and right.
3: a good point. And staying in that area a little bit, you were really both taken with Victoria by the sounds of things.
2: Yeah, to me, that was one that like still sticks out to me. And I mean, they had had the Australian Open um, pretty recent. Um, but that's one that like you don't hear uh, your guys podcast was like after we had already been, I think. Um, and you don't really hear like, okay, this is a must visit. You know, it's, if you care about the rankings, it's not a top 100 in the world. I think it is like, you know, top 10 in Australia. Um, but it's, you know, not a top 100 in the world. And to me, it stood out right away. Um, I love a good fun opening hole and that drivable four is incredible. You, the, size of the bunkers the size of the greens you know the some of those holes stick out with me i I just was editing some pictures earlier today of victoria and it's just like the quality of holes there um the routing everything it truly was probably i think we you know we kind of did um, kind of personal rankings of the trip and for both of us it was extremely high um I guess, you know, you guys wouldn't probably consider it underrated, but it was definitely what I would say would be an underrated one for us. Um, the I think was 15, 16, just like 15th the drivable four, just such a fun hole, 16, the par three up the hill. Um, just, uh, you know, ones that really stick out to me. I can still like see every shot and kind of remember every single hole at Victoria.
0: Definitely, definitely up there for me. We we definitely did kind of catch it good on the conditions. I after the trip after Todd and I's trip, I went back and kind of rewatched the no laying up videos and they did a little excerpt when they were there at Victoria. And when they played the Australian Open we like I said a, a couple days, weeks before, like we caught it in just like the absolute perfect condition. But one thing too that I loved about Australian golf once we got there was the the utilization of the shore par fours is truly remarkable which we don't have much in the states like you may have some sort of a par force but when you stand on one at victoria and you go okay like i can make double bogey or i can make birdie here like very easily let's just go out there and enjoy the day and then like i said i think 17 18 are two good finishing holes with both par fives and like i said i love 15 because i did drive the green on 15 and (laughs) i did make par that i think i three putted for a par but uh, but you sit there and look at the short fours and you're just like, this is a great way for golf. Cause it's a mega risk reward. Like I can go for the green, try to make Eagle or birdie. Uh, but again, bringing in the big numbers, bogey, double and everything above, or I can try to lay back and then just try to make par with a full wedge shot in. Mm. Then even then, with how firm the conditions are, because one thing for us that we notice, and I specifically me, like if you a wedge in, it's not going to hit and stop. It's still going to bounce three, four five feet in the air and just kick forward. So in Australian golf really makes you think around how to play the course, not just kind of blasting it down there and using spin and loft to try to stop the ball in the green. And then Victoria did a good job of that. Cause it requires you to hit so many different shots. It's not just like go out there and do one thing. If the wind's blowing, it's going to require you to hit low shots, high shots, right to left, left to right. Landed on the green, landed 20 yards short of the green, let it roll up. So, Victoria was a true treat for me. And whenever Todd and I walked off the 18th green, we're looking at ourselves like, how is this not a top 100 golf course in the world? Like, it is truly remarkable. Yeah, I'd
1: I'd echo that. I think it is, you know, it is underrated or at least underappreciated, I think. it. The greens rebuild that OCM did, about four or five years ago now really lifted it even the holes where they essentially rebuilt the old green lifted it just that little bit and lifted the condition so that joe as you describe it allows all those shots to be played and yeah i think that potentially people have only seen the the previous version which is the version of the course that the no laying up guys played on their trip just yeah a really special place definitely mm. and so Royal melbourne you said was was the course that you started your trip by saying when do we lock in Royal Melbourne there's a fair bit of debate around the best 36 hole club in the world um, you may not have been to Sunningdale but I assume being based in New York that you're familiar with winged foot those seem to be the three candidates that get tossed around did Royal Melbourne live up to the
2: hype? it definitely did for me it, it was you know everything I expected it to be um, I think you know if you're ever fortunate enough to play the composite course that's got to be the best 18 holes in the world you know in the world I'd say probably we had the only caveat was we had a rough afternoon on the west course we had a lot of wind we had a little bit of rain it played about as hard as a golf course as you'd expect or as you could get but you know those holes on that paddock are incredible and for me I've played um wing foot, played Baltimore, played Monterey Peninsula country club. Um, and it's the best 36 hole facility that I've been to. I haven't done Sunningdale, um, but you know, some of the holes on the East as well, um, you know, number two, number three, four, um, 16 uh, was just truly incredible. Um, 18 um, it lived up to the hype and more. Um, and also, you know, the West course being a top 10 course, both courses being top 100 in the world. You kind of were, you know, you know, guys coming over from America, we think of the stigma as being stuffy. We had our guest Harrison's one of my favorite people in the world, just truly just so much fun. And everybody was so welcoming. Ben Jarvis couldn't have been more welcoming toured us around the club, um, brought us out to Dr. McKenzie's uh, tools out there in the parking lot. Um, really just it couldn't have been a better day with a better host and we were so welcome and treated so well it uh, definitely lived up to the hype and more
0: Ben Jarvis and Harrison just can't state how grateful we are to have met them and then, then give us the opportunity to go out there and play because when, when you do think of coming down to Australia that's kind of like the the pinnacle is to play at Royal Melbourne West so just a big shout-out and big thank you to them. Uh, we played 36 that day, played east in the morning, played west in the afternoon. And like Todd said, like on that main paddock there, like the holes on the east are just like some – they're the world-class golf holes for a reason, right? When you're standing on 2T on the east, kind of up in the – kind of like right there near that boundary area, and you can say, okay, it's tight, trees on both sides, landing area. You're going to hit this sh- – left to right shot, and then the green's going to open up. And you kind of sit there, okay, kind of start hitting shots. That was one of my favorite visuals, too, is you're standing on two, and you're just basically hitting over one green. Then you stand on three, and you're like, okay, if you don't know the course. And that's where like Harrison was great for us. He's, like, he's telling us, he's shepherding us around the golf course, which was very helpful. And he's like, you stand on three, you're like, oh, I can probably pull out a driver. And he's like, don't pull anything out more than a five iron. Because it's just going to hit and it's going to run for days because it's kind of like that short dog leg, right? Then it opens up. And then what Todd was saying, too, 16, that par three might be like one of my favorite, like bunkering greens I've ever seen, just because the grand scale of it is so unbelievable. and You're just standing there and like, I think I must have taken like 10, 15 pictures from the tee. And obviously the pictures never do it justice, but just to have that in the memory bank is just unbelievable. And then, I was right. We uh ran into a decent amount of wind on the west. And there was one point where Harrison looked at me when we were playing the west and he goes, "What do you think?" and I'm like, "I'm having a great time, but I'm just trying to survive right now when every single par 4 you have you're going driver, hybrid or two iron in and I'm like, "Let's just I'm trying to appreciate it all, but man, it was a tough, tough day in the afternoon the west course. Wow.
3: You'll have to come back and play it in different conditions.
0: Yeah, well, that's when we walked off the course, in Harrison,
2: you know, starts talking about our next time that we're we're coming to visit, and you know, it's like, yeah, I guess we got to come back. We'll uh, we'll try to be there on the uh, composite day for sure.
3: Yeah, the composite the composite is next level. That's every 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 good east hole that you described. You stay on that main paddock and pick the eyes out of the west and. It's it's. I always tell people it's just like a mixtape of your eighteen favourite songs. You never get bored of them. You're looking forward to the next one coming. It's 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 something else. And uh, you you didn't just limit yourselves to the sandbelt while you were here. You you travelled all through the country, but you golf in in the state of Victoria. You travelled down to the Bellarine Peninsula. You went down Geelong Way or Great Ocean Road Way. And did did I read right that you played Lonsdale Links?
2: Yes, uh, so we did Lonsdale Links. Um, we we went over to that side. We did the Great Ocean Road on a Monday. We kind of took a day off after about um, eight days playing, um, and then I just randomly—I think this was one that I just randomly saw pictures of um, on Instagram. And uh, you know, we both are golf professionals at Sleepy Hollow in New York, which is a Charles Blair McDonald course, and I saw these pictures of um, Lonsdale links on Instagram. I was like, wait, you know, I see, uh, you know, a, a Redan, a beer, uh, a short, all the templates, you know, that Charles Blair McDonald uses. And I was like, we gotta check this out. So I, you know, kind of audibled, we added that to the, to our Tuesday morning. And I was so glad we did. It's, um, to me, it's what kind of, you know, um, you public kind of newer golf courses should be fun interesting I'm um, you know it was the ladies league was going right after us and they had tons of ladies out there playing I think they have a full tee sheet basically every day um, and for your average golfer you know who's not a huge architect fan you go out there and you're like man I really like this course and you have no idea why and it's just because of really cool interesting good architecture fun to play not overly long if I go back out there again i probably wouldn't even bring a driver because it just tempts you into hitting shots that you shouldn't hit um but just a ton of interesting holes a nice easy fun walk um to me it's what new golf should be um public golf it's fun interesting people don't know why it's interesting but it's it's incredible and like talking about ocm and the stuff they've been doing um i feel like everywhere we went, um, it was like, oh, but you know, OCM, OCM, OCCM, um, depending on which time frame. Everything they touch kind of turns to gold, it seems. I didn't know much about cocking, but I'm surely going to be doing my research. And um, shout out to him because amazing work at Lonsdale.
1: There's that old Alistair McKenzie quote about how golfers tire of the game and lose interest and give it away and invariably – because they've been playing on a boring course that doesn't hold interest. And those McDonald and Rainer courses, you know, if nothing else, you know, sometimes they divide opinion, but it's because there's something there. There's something interesting, challenging. People might find it infuriating. It's, it's, it's distinctive. And I think, you know, I'm playing Lonsdale next Friday for the first time and I, I thought I was already pumped to play it. But the fact that, you know, you guys come on such a bucket list trip, full of world top hundreds, and it's often the way and I've found with my own trips that it can be these you know, lower tier courses that surprise you that kind of stick in your memory and you find yourself thinking about the most after the trip.
0: For sure. And like, again, to piggyback on Todd, Todd, like what you said about everything was so true about Lonsdale. Like it was for us being at a, a CB McDonald course, it was cool to go see the Temple greens and everything like that. But it's so playable and it's such a fun golf course because it allows you just to, get, to go out there you don't have to pull out driver. So it really kind of lets everybody of any skill level to be able to go out there and play. And then just kind of reiterate what he said, like it's introducing people to like golf course architecture who don't really know what it is. When you go out there and you see the squared off green, you're like, well, that's different from all the other golf courses that I've ever done. It kind of brings some curiosity to some people who don't really know about it yet. And then they do some more research about it and they go, well, there's a different aspect to all this different golf courses. Uh, that I didn't know about versus me just going out and playing it, then that's how you can also create new people who love the architecture side of it. Because before I met Todd, I didn't really know too much about architecture or anything like that. And then being around him for the past couple of years has definitely opened my eyes, and I found a new love to be able to go out there and have appreciation for it. Because, again, it's not just playing the golf course. It's trying to understand like what the architecture at whatever time that was what he wanted to portray and try to give to the people who are out there and be able to see for themselves.
1: I think what you both say is true as well. I know the Charleston Muni in South Carolina was pretty recently rebuilt, you know, in in the style of of um, McDonald and Rayner. And a couple of mates of mine in Charleston have said they've got buddies who they've been trying to get them into architecture for years, and they haven't succeeded because they haven't been able to play these courses that. Yeah, you, know, you go to Charleston Muni, and all of a sudden it makes sense. You know why it's why it's interesting. You know, and a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of that really great Macarena kind of style stuff is is private. And likewise, a lot of our great architecture on the sandbelt is private. Sandy Links has kind of unlocked sandbelt architecture for the masses. So it is super important that the you know public golf is also high architecture golf.
2: Agreed, hundred percent. And it's we've both played Charleston Muni. Um, very similar to Charleston Muni, um, probably a bit more playable. Charleston Muni is, is a little difficult, but like you said, um, majority of the McDonald Rainer stuff is very um, unattainable for a lot of people. So it's, it's great to have those options. And I will say as well, um, if you are planning your trip, on sale links a little bit out of the way from your sand belt, um, but you do have the great ocean road right there, which if, you know, mix in a little bit of you know touristy stuff it's well worth going to check out and you do have borrowing heads right there which we did that afternoon um i felt like it was a pretty easy 36 whole day um and borrowing heads offers something a little bit different than your normal sandbelt courses um and was a fantastic compliment um to a sandbell and to lonsdale Links.
1: you talk about touristy stuff and it takes me on to something that i was really intrigued by about your trip you know, you weren't just hammering golf 36 every day, you know, and maybe with the duration of your trip, you know, bodies would have started to quit on you. But I noticed that your your time in Sydney was was heavy on the tourist and low on the golf. What was your experience of Sydney? What were the highlights? What was the rationale, I guess, of using Sydney as a bit of a, you know, a pit stop in the golf aspect of your trip?
0: Ali is one off. So for us, so like that in the overall trip, Todd, uh, can confirm on this. is kind of toward like the tail end of the trip. So with all of us, so us being in California for a little bit of time, then coming over to Australia and then bouncing over to New Zealand, uh, it was a lot of golf and a lot of traveling. So at least for us, we're just like, hey, we want to go somewhere to where we kind of relax and unwind, and we'll also play a little bit of golf, but just kind of let the bodies rest. Like you said, um, I'm only 25, and I think after the first couple of days a bit of the am like I don't think I'm gonna be able to make this Like my legs are getting tight. I think I had a total of like 13 to 15 blisters on my feet. I'm just like limping around. So I'm like, we just need some time to relax and stop. So going to Sydney and we were just for the most part going to be staying near Bondi beach, just going to be relaxing. Cause again, that we were on holiday for a little bit and we knew we were going back to the cold wintry Northeast. So we're like at least want to go to the beach and relax a little bit of time. So we made it to where, we go to Sydney, stop there, go to the beach, and then also explore Sydney for the beauty that it is being one of the best cities in the world. And that's truly like an understatement to say, because it still doesn't even give it justice how amazing that city is. Um, definitely one of my favorite cities, probably my favorite city that we went on the trip, just because of all the versatility that it gives you, because you're so close to the coast. Um, and then when you go into the city, it's beautiful landscape, beautiful high rises, and there's just so many different restaurants, activities, cocktail bars, things like that to do. So we definitely uh, found ways to pass the time. Highlight for me was we did go to the Sydney Opera House. There was a band that Todd and I both knew called Future Island that was playing there. We definitely lucked into it because we were talking about how we just go see a random concert at the Opera House just to go see it because we've heard so many things about it. And we were sitting here in New York, I think, November, December time, just kind of doing some research, and then Todd looks, it up, looks at me and goes, you won't believe it just released some dates for Australia New Zealand, and it's this band that we saw a couple times. So we were very fortunate to where we could at least go to the opera house and see a band that, knows it, that we know so well. One thing, too, that we were told by a couple people to do was to walk the bridge at Sydney. Um, for you two, I'm terrified of heights. So whenever we were sitting there at the opera house and I thought you just like walked across the bridge like you normally would not actually walk on like the scaffolding up there.
1: Oh, you did and, the proper bridge climb right up over the over the top.
0: Well, okay. yeah, I noticed that. And then Ty was like, oh, we're going to do that. And I looked at him and I was like, you have to be out of your bloody mind <laughs> up there and had to walk that and then whenever i came back i told some people that we didn't do that and they said that was the highlight of their trip and we should have done it but i cared about my life a lot more and my underwear that i was wearing that day so i didn't want to soil them so that was one to where if i go back i made the muster my fear and do that because it did look really cool and you i couldn't imagine the views that you have from on top of there because you just saw so many people going up there but the entire sydney experience like said, so we did play new south wales which was an unbelievable golf course, but just that was so good about Sydney too. It's like, you don't have to do golf. Like there's just so many cool different things to do besides that. So that was cool for us to be able to mix in a little bit of golf and also a little bit more of like a touristy thing to where you get to go kind of see all the sites. Cause there is so many things to see in Sydney.
1: Now, if we thought that Lonsdale was a low key inclusion in your trip, you played two golf courses in Sydney and one of them was Bondi diggers.
2: Yeah. We, we weren't going to miss that. Um, so yeah, that was, that was, that was on our radar for a while. Um, uh, one of our members over here, John Cavalier, who's uh links gems on Instagram. He's, mm-hmm. He posts uh, a couple pictures of it. And, um, like Joe said, uh, we kind of wanted to work in a little bit of the beach and, uh, talking with Harrison and Dave, they said like, Oh, you gotta go, uh, you know, the good beaches are in Sydney. So, um, I've, you know, obviously seen pictures of Bondi beach, wanted to spend some time in Bondi beach. And um, then I saw, Hey, there's this par three golf course right there, right there on the cliffs. So um, we, we weren't going to miss that. And um, yeah, like Joe said, just quickly, we kind of um, factored in some concerts, Bon and future islands, both were playing in Sydney while we were there. So um, gave us a little bit of time to kind of catch our breath from the golf um, and obviously, we weren't going to miss New South Wales. We played with Matt out there, and shout out Angus and Grace. Go golfing! We had a great time out there. Spent some time at the shop in Paddington. Um, definitely got to go check it out if you are in Sydney. Um, definitely one of my favorite clothing brands I've encountered, um, especially on the trip. So we did all that, and like Joe said, I just absolutely love sydney our time in bondi i've been kind of looking at real estate and bondi uh because i might want to make a make the move over there and uh kind of you know spend spend some more time in bondi um i thought this was going to be a trip where you kind of oh you know we go to australia and go see new zealand and you know maybe we make it back within the next 20 years or not and then i'm like hey you know maybe if we have a month or two off in the wintertime we we'll just go hang out in bondi so um Definitely a lasting impression for Sydney, Bondi, New South Wales, the whole area was fantastic.
1: It's one of those things that, that's brilliant about travel, isn't it? That you you go with all these things you expect from a trip and you go somewhere new and meet new people and experience things that just connect with you. And and I'm similar after a year ago a trip to um to North Carolina, South Carolina. It's really all I think about. And I'm just always thinking, when can I get back there? And it's I thought it would be a one and done trip as well. But um, it's so great to hear that, you know, those things that have grabbed you. And look, I reckon we could organize you guys some work at New South Wales over summer. It's our busy time. It's your quiet time. Base yourselves there in Bondi or Bronte. Joe There's can do that. the bridge climb. You know, it's There's good to that. be.
3: I was going okay. to say that I've literally talked my wife into moving to Mungify Heads just down the road from Tara So if you want to come and work there once I've moved across, gents, there you're we laughing.
2: Go. <laughs> yeah, both of them. We'll, spend, we'll, spend, we'll split time between both. It's uh, tough to be both of those places. Yeah.
1: Now, we'll take advantage of your your segue, Todd, uh, of Angus and Grace Go Golfing to, to mention our very valued sponsor, Angus and Grace Go Golfing. I know Matt Burns has just been in Japan this week doing some doing a recce for new range and expanded range. So I'm excited to see what that looks like. Uh, I do have a bone to pick with you though, because I went into the shop the week after you guys had been in Sydney to see Matt and pick up some gear, and there was a lot of empty rack space. And he said, "Look, I'm really sorry, but but Todd and Joe cleaned out half the shop." So it seemed like you've got the golf daddy hat on today that we that we can't see because we're not doing YouTube. But um, yeah, you guys seem to based on that
2: yeah we spent a couple hours at the shop in paddington and uh we kind of we kind of cleaned them out we bring some samples back to the states um you might be seeing it here soon at sleepy hollow um so uh sorry about that but uh yeah we uh kind of cleaned them out there i
3: can i can vouch for the quality of their pants i'd uh i played peninsula south on the weekend just gone and i think it was the fourth hole where my playing partner had already gone onto Instagram, clicked some links and bought a pair of pants and the polo on the back <gasps> of the outfit I was wearing. So
0: how about that, Maddie. Also a good thing that to like Todd and I, so we went over there with our golf bags, our carry-on and a backpack. And I promised you if I would have had more luggage space, there would have been less empty shelves whenever you went there, Scott. Cause I went in there and just, I looked at Matt, I'm like, take this, take that, I'll take this package it up for me. And I'm like, because you walk in there and you see it, because we first played with Matt, he's wearing their stuff. I'm like, their stuff looks amazing. And then you go into the store and it's like everything in there is amazing. Quality is so good. The look is so good. And like I said, I'm very fortunate that I had no luggage space left. So uh, I would have basically bought Matt out basically.
1: (laughs) It's one of the things that um, to follow on from that, that I, I notice when I go to America, that logos are incredible, and you want to buy everything. And you know, going into into pro shops, there's t-shirts and there's hoodies and there's gym towels and there's a lot of you know, glassware and drinkware. One of the things I think Australian clubs still struggle with a little bit in terms of being world class is is the pro shop offering. And I also I have a bugbear that I think our logos. Are just a little bit, you know, not the kind of thing you're like. I need that on a shirt. I need that on a hat. I need that on a on a Turvis tumbler. What was your perspective on that? You know, coming from the holy land, I guess, of golf merch.
2: Yeah, so I'll, I'll take that one quickly. I um I am the golf shop manager at Sleepy Hollow and kind of do all the merch at Sleepy. So that's one of the things. Um, you know, me moving, wanting to move to Bondi, I said there might be an opportunity here. A lot of these clubs need rebranding. They need, you know, um, to just up, like you said, the Annie, the T-shirts, hoodies, just little knickknacks in the shop, turbos, tumblers, stuff like that. Um, like Joe said, it's, we're probably fortunate that you guys, that they, they didn't have these things or else we would have had to buy another suitcase and bring home more stuff. But I was definitely before, you know, we went on the trip, I was, you know, oh, I'm, you know, a T-shirt here, I would get a T-shirt here, a T-shirt here, a, a hoodie there Um, and there's definitely a lack of that kind of stuff, um, which, you know, us in the U S we, we want all these logos. We want all these different t-shirts and different knickknacks and things. Um, I feel like the mentality in Australia is a little bit more laid back. They don't, you know, necessarily have to be wearing logos all the time like we do in the U S. Um, but with all the visitors that, um, these Australian courses get, um, I remarked a couple of times to Joe, um, I might start a consulting firm and come over and try to revamp some logos and, uh, bring, bring some t-shirts and some knickknacks and hoodies into the mix. Cause it's definitely the missing aspect of Australian and New Zealand golf.
0: And I'll piggyback off of that as well. And like Todd and I talked about, like, you go into a shop and just kind of like begin a t-shirt, like a simple thing. It's kind of like a staple here in the U S especially now more like the lounge or anything like that. You didn't see that as much, but also too, over in the States, the logos kind of represent like where you've been, a status thing, like every kind of everything that goes along with that versus when you go over to Australia and you see the people who are playing, they're just wearing polo and shorts or polo and pants. It's just not as much of a try to get in your face of where you played, um, which I appreciate because it's more, you're there for the golf. and You're there from the camaraderie and just the, uh, enjoy the experience and everything like that to where over in the States, like, and I'm really bad with this. If I go into a pro shop, I'm walking out with two or three bags of merch, um, which is probably not good on the wallet, but different story. But like one thing I do love about getting more and more say merch like that in Australia, because it's it's great talking points. Like if I wear a Royal Melbourne hat around in New York city, I'll, I'll have a handful of people come up to me and, want to make conversation about that or even now if you wear a victoria or a yara yara polo it's if you've been there they're great talking points with people that you can you see them on the street you wouldn't know anything about them you'd think you have no connection with them but yet in the world that we live in like people travel and everything like that and golf's starting to get bigger and bigger and, and if you love golf you go somewhere you have a great experience and a great story that you want to tell other people and each person has that individual aspect of it for sure so then to be able to share that experience with somebody who had their own experience in the same spot allows you just to meet a whole new realm of people that you would have never known was even out there <clears throat> so that would be one thing that and i promise you too I did buy almost – I think Kingston Heath was the only spot that I didn't buy anything. So I'll to see when David comes over, I get some Kingston Heath merch. But I promise you I, I'll be walking the streets of New York uh, wearing Australian golf logos to hopefully have those conversations with people.
1: Lovely. Is there something you wish you'd thought of on you before you made the trip? You know, something that when a mate says, oh, I'm thinking of going to Australia, beyond the obvious stuff around where to play – piece of advice you'd give them about a golf trip to Australia?
2: Um, I would say quickly um, to kind of mix in some of the non-golf stuff as well. Australia is a a beautiful country and there's a lot of stuff to do in each respective place. Um, We spent some, you know, we did spend some non-golf time in Sydney, which was nice and I'm so glad we did. Um, But even places like when we went to Tassie and went to Barnboogle, we got in, we played uh, two loops around barn Boogle run uh, about bugle run. And then we went in the next day, played 36 at dunes and 36 at lost farm. Never really left, uh, you know, Bridport or barn Boogle, Um, you know, such a beautiful area that we didn't really see. You know, we, we played with a couple of people. Are right, you going to check out this going to check out that? And um, we, you know, we didn't really have time to do that. So it is one of those catch 22 things. You want to fit in as much golf as you can, Um, we did, um, the great ocean road, which I think was, um, was awesome. in Melbourne, um, we, you know, spent a little bit time in the city, but could have spent, you know, more time, um, Prawn, I think is the correct pronunciation. Um, such a cool little area probably would have, would have went, um, you know, out a little bit more there, spend a little bit more time. But when you're trying to squeeze in a lot of golf, I can, I can see that you, you know, try to maximize your golf, but, um, I'd say, you know, each place you go, we have a little bit of time for the tourist
0: stuff. Even with that, if I had a mate going, just making sure to tell, like make sure you plan everything out. Cause there's just so much to do. And even like, if you're in Melbourne, if you're in Adelaide, if you're, if you want to make a trip to King Island, Tassie, Sydney, like there's just so much to do. And Todd and I were very fortunate getting like being golf pros in the Northeast, we have two and a half months off. So we could kind of stretch out the trip as long as we really wanted to, to kind of do all the sites and go play all the courses. So I would tell, I'd say i tell a buddy of mine, I would just be like, make sure you plan everything out that you want to do. Again, mix in some touristy stuff cause there is so much the country has to offer just besides the golf, but try to stretch out as much time as you can because there is so many different things to do when you're over there. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, if you had friends who were traveling from the U.S. and they were coming here on a shorter trip than you undertook, say so they could play five courses or five rounds, which five would you suggest to them, do you think?
2: Um, I, I would say you definitely have to do the sand belt. Um, the caveat of that would be to go to King Island and play Cape Wickham. Um and, you know if you only have five days it 's tough, but if you 're coming from the u s um please try to fit in more than five days, even if it 's seven it 's a you know the closest flight is sixteen hours um so and if you 're coming for five days or you know you have I mean, hopefully it 's a minimum of five days, but um strap on the boots and play thirty six a day and play you know ten courses if you can um, take that little puddle jumper to, to King Island, um, and, you know, go, go back in time and go, go hang out in Curry and see Cape Wickham. Um, I think that was for me, um, not underrated because it's the top 50 course in the world, but people, you know, questioned about making the short flight over and taking, you know, uh, the extra time to go to King Island and, um, so worth it. Um, one of my favorite courses that I've ever played. Um, some of those stretches of holes um, off the top of my head, nine through 12 and 16 through 18 might be two of like the best stretches of golf. We, um, we started in California and we played Pebble beach and I'm not sorry to say that um, I take Cape Wickham all day. So mm-hmm. I would say I, you know, hot take there. Um, I would say, you know, so, Play the stuff in the sand belt. Um, if I had to give you only five, um, that's tough. You know, you got to play the 36 of Royal Melbourne, uh, Kingston Heath, Victoria, you know, like I said, Cape Wickham. And then you have, you know, one more round um, in in the sand belt. Um, I, it's tough. There's. Um, I like luck. that
1: advice. I like that advice that if you could only play five courses, play eight. <laughs>
2: yeah exactly sorry so yeah if you can play five courses play eight to ten courses just you know make your trip a little longer play i'd say for my last one uh go find clates and play metro with clates yeah yeah Yeah, playing
1: playing golf with clates and i mean people will say what they want to say about about me blowing smoke up clates's ass but playing golf with clates is just the type of thing that makes you love golf a little bit more and also that rhythm makes your golf swing better just by watching it 100%.
2: 100%. He really yeah, is a treasure to Aussie golf. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't have been better. Lived up to the hype and more.
1: All right. We've got a bit of a fast money round to finish. A couple of short, sharp questions. Uh, they might not have comfortable answers for you, but I am just want to hear your immediate reaction to them. Uh, Maddie. you've got them in front of you. We might go one for one. I do. First up, and right. you've sort of led us into this. Is Cape Wickham World top 20?
0: 100%. Yes.
1: Yes.
3: Uh, St. Andrew's Beach or National Gunna Matter? St.
1: Andrew's Andrews
0: Beach. St. Andrew's Beach.
1: What was the best thing you ate in Australia?
0: There was, we were in St. Kilda. There was a breakfast sandwich. Um, It's um, blank on the name. It's Cooper something right there in St. Kilda. It was quite possibly the best breakfast sandwich I've ever eaten. And I even told Todd like the end of the trip, that was still the best meal that I've ever ate.
2: I'm the cheat. I'm the cheat and say Asian food in general. Yeah, the Asian food here is
1: elite.
3: Uh, was there a hole that you played in Australia that you wish you could have in your backyard at home?
0: Number one at Victoria. Ooh, wow. Um,
2: seven at Barnbougle Dunes. Um, they
1: both fit in a decent sized backyard too, which is yeah, exactly
2: like yeah. So if if you're if you're saying like a you know like a two scale seven at Barnbougle Dunes. If we're going uh, – if I if I have a large backyard, I'm going uh, nine at Cape Wickham. Mm. It's hard to fit five
1: at New South Wales into a backyard.
2: Yeah. A yeah. little bit. Okay. After the
1: first six holes at Barwon Heads, as you cross the road, did you expect the next 12 holes to be much better than they were?
0: I actually love when you cross the road and go play those holes at Barwon Heads. I loved them a lot just because there's so much versatility back there. And, again, you could – out dryer, we can pull out two iron when we played it was firm and fast so i loved those holes crossing the road for sure
2: yeah no i didn't ex- i didn't expect it e- either i i wasn't i honestly the barwin heads is one of the ones that we didn't do a lot of research beforehand i wasn't really sure what to expect and uh, i love the holes across the street as well
3: okay. uh or dunes or lost farm
0: Ooh, gosh the hard questions um i'm gonna give you two answers then i love lost farm because it's so much fun to play but if i'm going out there and like really want to play tournament-esque golf definitely the dunes because it requires a lot more shot shaping i think it's a little bit more of a difficult golf course but if i had to pick one just to go play it'd probably be lost farm
2: i would probably echo that 10 round split i'm going five five take the easy route um, gun, gun to my head, Lost Farm's is a little bit more playable. Um, I, one round, I'll go Lost Farm, but I, either way, I'm fine.
1: Okay. Yeah, we were we were chatting last week on the episode. I was in Hobart for a mate's fortieth, and I was toying with driving to Boogle and back on it in a day to play one round. And I, I've for a while said Lost Farms. I think Lost Farms the better course. But as soon as I had this idea of driving to Barnburgel one round in a day, the only course I pictured myself on was dunes. So it's hard to, yeah,
2: it's tough to go there and play one round. I, I mean, it, I wouldn't even do that to myself, honestly. I, you know, and and we were lucky; we had enough time. We played thirty-six of both, so we kind of got you know a little bit of taste of both. Um, going back to the five rounds, if you have, I think it'd be crazy if you come over from the US and you don't go to Barnburgel and Cape Wickham. So those, you know, but you have to do the sandbelt as well. So that's where I'm at:
0: ten rounds.
1: Okay. did you have a favorite australian bee
0: big stonewood pacific ale fan oh, <laughs> oh wow
2: so I thought, good. Going, I thought he was going carlton
0: I, uh, I definitely great more carlton but stonewood oh yeah I, just, I, was, I can't find them over here i have to order them
2: yeah and we had a lot of rashers too uh i go i guess well, stone and wood as well but we did have a lot of carlton's
3: stone and woods on tap at royal melbourne which is always yeah, a good Excellent. Uh, which course felt like it had the most room for improvement?
2: Um, that is tough. I would say ooh, it's tough when you play all world-class golf courses um, that have all pretty much seemed to be touched up recently. Mm. Um, maybe uh, there's one or two holes that stick out. I'm going
0: Metro. Yeah, I would maybe just say, uh, I'm just saying this because of this, but like Sanders Beach, great layout, but maybe just trying to, again, like just work on a couple of different things on a couple of different holes. I love the routing on it, and there's some amazing golf holes out there. But and that's probably the only answer I can say because I feel like all the other golf courses to me were just like unbelievable, and I'm just like that's the only one that I was kind of like okay, just a little different here and there
1: the best or most memorable shot you hit on the trip?
0: Well, I can say I didn't have a lot of memorable shots. Uh, Todd and I were doing a match um, all the way through, and sad to admit to the public here that Todd had the better hand of me on more than one occasion. Um, ooh, favorite shot. That's
2: a tough I'm going one. first First round. We played at Barnbugle Dunes uh, on number seven. Hit it to about four feet, may or may not have missed the
0: putt, but the tee, <laughs> shot, the tee shot was fantastic. Uh, I had a good approach shot. My one of my most memorables, we were playing New South Wales, it's the second par five. I'm blanking on the number. Um, but I hit a wedge shot into like a down crosswind to about two feet, foot and a half for a tap in birdie. On um, eight, yeah, yeah, that was a really good one because it's like, oh, that was just hit so well.
1: Now, break, before break. we get the last question, you've just reminded me of something I want to ask you, Joseph. Uh, your your Instagram post to summarise the trip mentioned a couple of broken clubs, and I was just curious if that was bad luck or or temper related to bad play.
0: Well, it could be classified as both, right? I mean, I think it's bad luck that I was playing bad golf. Uh, the the first the first one was bad luck uh that i was hitting a four iron and the head just flew off and the last one r.i.p my lob wedge playing royal adelaide uh just some built-up anger just kind of built up over the rounds and ty had to calm me down a couple times uh to not break more clubs because we're like you still have more golf to play but knowing that was like the last round in Australia, I was like, okay, we'll let the anger out. And that one was left in the trash bin. on the golf Yeah, I was going to
2: say, pro tip uh, right by, I think it was the uh, seventh hole trash can at Royal Adelaide. There's a fairly new uh, lob wedge in the trash can
0: at <laughs> the new home that somebody found. <laughs> yeah, feel free to go home and reshaft it. Still good. <laughs> but o- only broke two clubs.
3: Uh, last question. Which club did you feel like you'd want to join if you lived in Melbourne?
0: I feel like this is going to be a, a very prototypical answer, but like Royal Melbourne, just the staff is unbelievable. The members are some of the nicest people you ever met. Golf courses are world class for a reason. And just the entire like experience for me there was just, you felt like you belonged and you were one of the members there because you didn't stick out like a sore thumb. And with us being Americans, we were sitting in the real room having lunch and you everyone would just hear our accent and come up and talk to you and be like, what are you doing over here? You're playing golf. And they were just so welcoming as just a people in general. Like I would love to be a part of something like that. So as easy as it is to say Royal Melbourne, it's for me, it's along with everything that's involved with it for sure. Yeah, that's,
2: that's the easy one. Um, Probably my answer. I'll give a different answer though. And I'll say uh, Victoria uh like i said earlier round really stuck with me um staff there was great as well very welcoming um awesome clubhouse great field of the club um you know and obviously you can't go wrong um you could flip a coin i could say kingston Heath, especially with that new short course um and the kind of the hang there as well um we played with one of their golf pros mitchell uh as well, and had a great day. So um, the, the those three big ones, you can't really go wrong. Um, you know, Metro too. You get to see Glades all the time.
0: Honorable mention though is you get to go or New South Wales to go hang out with Scott and Matt all the time. So definitely number two for me, right?
2: Well, that's that's where I'm joining when I moved to Bondi. So you know, yeah, there's
3: no wrong answers there. Loved loved all of them. I can see you I can see you living in a place in Bronte, Todd, very happily.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, fellas, thank you so much for making the time. It was terrific following on with your trip on Instagram. It was fantastic to just randomly run into you in the shop at New South Wales. Uh, Really glad that you're able to tick off so much and see so much and have so many great experiences. And we're excited that it sounds like we'll be seeing you back down here.
2: Yeah, thank you guys for having us. Um, Thank you guys for the podcast. It was a big help uh, planning the trip um you know and um yeah you'll be hopefully seeing me soon
0: yeah just again, piggyback thank you guys so much uh also I want to thank Todd for the opportunity I said Todd planned the entire trip and I was just kind of piggybacking off of him so thanks for Todd for giving me a trip of a lifetime and said thanks for Scott and Matt here for getting us on to at least tell our stories about how of a great time we we did and hopefully get some more people from the states to come over and play some Australian golf
3: Exactly. And we we look forward to seeing them and, and yourselves back when you when you get a chance. Maybe in that next winter break that you have.